We've wrapped up the college basketball season. We know a lot of the guys who have declared for the draft. Not all of them have yet, and there are certain rules and stipulations and regulations that you have to follow. Whenever I need info on this, I go to draftexpress.com because uh, our next guest is about as good as there is in the country at keeping abreast of what's going on with the best, not only college prospects, but European prospects for the upcoming draft. Jonathan Gavoni joins us here on CBS Sports Radio. How you been, Jonathan? I'm great, Jody. How about yourself? Good. Uh, I always am checking your site because I still don't quite understand the changes that have been made for the NBA draft with the ability to say that you're coming out and declare and see if you can get a feel for it before you have the chance to reevaluate and uh, return to college. Give us, uh, give the listeners the, the, the best uh, abridged version you can of what the NBA is trying to do these years in conjunction with college basketball to give the kids a chance, but maybe not as much as they used to, to evaluate before they make that very important decision. Well, about four years ago, the NCAA, um, headed by um, a bunch of college coaches from the ACC, decided that they are tired of the early entry process of guys going through workouts and, and testing their draft stock, getting, you know, gathering feedback from NBA teams. They wanted to know, you know, what their rosters for the following season were going to look like by, by the middle of April as opposed to the middle of June. So they implemented a rule that basically says that if you enter the draft um, any time after April 15th, you cannot withdraw. So, you know, essentially, essentially that means that there, you cannot test the waters anymore because the NBA has their own early entry rule, which is April 27th, which includes international players, and you cannot conduct any workouts, you can't have any type of contact with parents, agents, players, anybody until the early entry list is distributed in the beginning of May. So basically, any kid that enters a draft now, you know, in the month of April, is pretty much doing so blindly, just kind of having faith that whatever information they've been able to gather now is, is going to hold and, which is a little bit of a dangerous proposition considering how early we are in the process, how much things are going to change. We saw a number of underclassmen last year like Mike Cabongo, C.J. Young, C.J. Leslie, guys that were considered first-round prospects earlier in the season went undrafted when it's all said and done after bad workouts, uh, a number of reasons. So it's not an ideal situation for the players, but actually the NBA teams like it. They like knowing who's in the draft really early so they can focus on the actual list. And obviously the colleges like it too because they can go on, coaches can go on vacation, you know, they can just start thinking about next season. They don't have to worry, you know, all May and June about what their roster is going to look like. I see the certain upside for the NBA because you're right. Uh, they don't have to speculate. They don't have to worry. All right, the, this is the group we're evaluating. It's not going to get any bigger. It is what it is. We're going to pick the guys that we're going to pick. So I see the, the how it works for the NBA. I see some potential downside for the college because, as you just pointed out, there were some players who may have been thought of in their own minds and some other experts' minds as a first-round pick, go undrafted, don't live up to expectations, had they had the chance to at least test the waters and work out for some teams and get some information, maybe they would have decided to go back to college. Isn't there a downside for the NCAA that they're kind of, in some cases, pushing these guys toward coming out when they might not really even have to or should? 
That's true. They do lose a handful of guys that get that information and go undrafted. But if you look at the early entry list in the years prior to this new rule, it was three times bigger than what it's going to be in this upcoming May. So there were a lot of guys that were kind of on the fence that maybe would have entered had they had the ability to test the waters. And maybe they would have stayed in when it's all said and done, but they didn't need that door gets closed so early for them that they just said, I'm not going to risk it. Uh, and especially from the bigger programs, guys, you know, from North Carolina, you know, they didn't even look at the, at the draft, which is, you know, unprecedented for a program like that. They just went straight away uh, besides James McAdoo, by the way, who entered the draft from Carolina, but so I think it goes both ways, and but I do think the the NCAA comes out on top here because I would say 75% of the guys that thought about entering the draft go back, and 25% enter, so that works for them. We're talking to Jonathan Gaboni from DraftExpress.com. Uh, gives you the best information on college kids, international kids, who we'll get to in a second, mock drafts, everything else. you got to check out his site as you prep for the NBA draft. Um, those that haven't declared yet, we know some of the big names are that are in Wiggins in, Embiid in, a couple others. We haven't heard from Japari Parker yet. When do you think that we'll have the full list? That will it go right down to the deadline when you have to put in by, or will we know a couple of days ahead of time? When will the NBA have that comfort level of knowing, all right, this is the group we're analyzing? I think this upcoming week we're going to get most of the, the, the decisions on guys that are left. I was told that Jabari Parker is going to announce on Tuesday or Wednesday. Aaron Gordon, who for all intents and purposes is in the draft. I think that guys are just kind of waiting for that April 15th day to pass because there's no benefit for them to, for submitting their name right now. They may as well just wait up until the very maybe the very end, the April 27th day, which is the actual NBA deadline. So... Um, I, I think that what we pretty much have an idea of who's in the draft now. There's only just a handful of guys now that we're waiting on. Is there a major surprise for you either way? Someone that you've gotten through pretty good sources isn't entering the draft, and you're going, really, they're going to pass? They, I, I see them as a mid-first rounder. I don't know why they would go back another year. Or is there a name that's popped up that you said, why are they even thinking about going into the draft? They're not going to get picked. They should continue. They got a chance if they have another year or two development in college. Have there been any surprises for you either way uh, that you've heard of? You know, in terms of the top prospects, it's pretty much gone the way that we thought it would. There's always a couple of borderline guys who enter the draft and people kind of shake their heads and say, wow, this guy's making a huge mistake. He's not going to get drafted. He's going to play in the D-League. You know, to me, that's, it happens every year, so it's really not a surprise anymore. Some guys just don't like being in, in college, you know, and there's so many other routes these days that you can take. You can go play in Europe, you can go play in the D-League. So if a Jakar Sampson, for example, from St. John's decides, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm 21 years old, I'm, I don't want to go to calculus tomorrow, I, mean, I want to go play professional basketball, I understand that. So there's a number of guys like that, juniors like Alex Kirk, like James McAdoo. These are guys who are you know, second-round picks at best, maybe go undrafted, but, you know, there's, there's many routes to, you know, to, to making the NBA. Some, play, some of these guys might make it down the road. Jonathan Boney, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, uh, one of the guys you've warmed up a little bit. I've been a fan since he was a freshman, and I know off his uh, NCAA tournament performance, you guys have moved him up your draft list a little bit from mid-second to the top of the second. I still think him as a first-rounder and will be picked as a first-rounder, uh, Shabazz Napier, 
you you have your own way of grading and your way of putting together your drafts and the like, and you compare it to what the NBA does. How much of an emphasis do you put on what a guy does in the tournament? How much do you think the league puts on an emphasis? I think it it varies. It's on a case-to-case basis. You know, with a guy like Shabazz Napier, who has played almost 120 college basketball games, you don't want to take – put too much stock into one performance or another because there's a lot of variance in in the game of basketball. Guys hit really hot streaks and they can't miss a shot for a couple weeks and then they hit really cold streaks and the college basketball season is so short that you can get, it's really dangerous to get caught up in one one week or another. I do think that the NCAA tournament though does does have value for scouting just because it's the end of the season, everybody is in peak form, um, there's so much attention. There's the intensity level is so high. The level of competition is is so high, and he really stepped up to the plate and showed that he's he's a money time player. You know, so I, 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 there's no doubt that he helped himself. And honestly, before the NCAA tournament, I would have said it's hit or miss if he's even going to be in the NBA next year or not. But I think that he absolutely did enough to show that he's worth a shot. Uh, you know he has his limitations. He's only about six one. He's not. He's not very athletic. He's not a great defender. He's not really a true point guard. You know. I mean, you, how does he fit in in terms of is he? He's probably a guy that comes off the bench and and, and can make shots. Uh, but you know, how much value is there really? Do you take to use a, a first round pick on that? And I think some NBA teams do actually like him. I think he has a, a real shot to go in the first round, like like you indicated. But it could go either way, you know. It, it really depends on, you know, how his workouts go and stuff like that. Jonathan, uh, moving to the top of the draft, how much of how the ping pong balls fly is going to determine who gets taken where? We've seen what Wiggins can do. We know what Embiid is. Jabari Parker had the season he had. Randall probably helped himself out with a nice little tournament run. I think most people, if you want to put Exum in that group too, look at those as your top four and or five, depending on how deep you want to go, how much of it will be dictated by who's making the selection? Or is it you just got to take the best available player? Here's our ranking. If they step away from it, they'd probably be making a mistake. How do you think that top shakes out once we know the draft order? I think that there's still a lot left to be decided. Uh, There's really not a lot of consensus in the NBA on who is the number one prospect in the draft, who is number two, who is number three. And, and every one of those teams that could be drafting there at the top are in different situations. And, you know, some of them have been in the lottery extensively the last few years. So they have a very highly touted prospects on their roster already. For example, if, you know, Philly is, is there drafting at, you know, three or four, I can't really see them looking at a, at a Dante Exum because, you know, they just drafted Michael Carter Williams, and it's really hard for those two guys to play together. You're kind of cannibalizing your own roster there. So I do think that needs will come into play a little bit. And uh, if there was more separation in this draft, if there was a LeBron James, um, you know, if there, there was a Kevin Durant, I would I would think differently. But I don't think that there's a you know anyone that you can point to that's that caliber of, of a difference maker in this draft. Agreed. And I think they're all players, but no one has stamped themselves as a must-be number one draft pick overall. Uh, as I've said a couple of times, you guys do as good work as anybody out there on the international prospects uh, going and watching them play and being able to give on uh, eyes on opinions on these guys. You've been doing a draft for a long time now. How does this group of Euros and internationals compare to years gone by? 
I think it's a pretty strong group. Uh, I, I expect there to be uh, quite a few international players drafted in the first round, seven, eight, potentially nine internationals. And I think that the second round is going gonna, is gonna to be very, very heavily international, which is where you see some of the seniors like a Shabazz Napier where they, they can get caught into that kind of cycle of everybody's drafting guys just to keep them overseas. And nobody really wants, you know, um, to add, you know, a third point guard to their roster in the second round. We've seen that in years past. So um, it's going to be a really interesting draft. I think this international class is, is absolutely loaded. Um, the 94 and 95 um, born groups of you know in Europe are phenomenal, and so um, and and so is the so is the college freshman class. So this is a really nice draft. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of depth to it, and I'm really excited about it. And uh, let me ask you one last international question: the whole pick them to keep them over in Europe motif. Some teams have made it work. Others have done it and never brought a player over from Europe. Does it have teeth? Does it really work? Or is that kind of a shot in the dark or a hedging your bet? And if the guy doesn't make, well, we, we took a chance there. Uh, is it is it as reliable a strategy as some teams make it out to be? It's not a reliable strategy, but I don't think this, I think the second round in general is a crapshoot. I mean, if you look at last year's second round, you only really see one guy out of the 30 that were picked that is actually doing anything in the NBA this year, and that's Nate Walters, who plays for the worst team in the NBA. So the second round in general is, is it's just a complete crapshoot. So I think guys say, look at it and say, I don't want to add a player to my roster. I already have a nice group of players that I really like. I can go out and you know plug in any holes I have in free agency. Nobody I'm going to pick here in the second round is going to help me next year or maybe ever. Let me just take a guy who plays in Spain. I know he's going to be developing in a really strong organization, a good program. I don't have to pay him. Um, they'll be working with him. And if one day he, you know, he pans out and he's ready to be a rotation player when he's 24, 25 years old, then that worked out really well for me. Jonathan, great stuff. We appreciate it. Whenever you come on, know we're going to have you on a bunch of times before the draft rolls around. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jody.